Are you a good witch or a bad Hello and welcome to Witch Bitches Review. I am just like a blockbuster video reference, outdated and unnecessary. Phoenix Arcana <laughs> Lightwood. Wow. Oh, wow, you got me right in the intro, bro. <laughs> well, I can't follow that act. Um, and I'm Siren Rex Fry. And after finally recording this fourth episode on the Charmed Reboot, I'm going to go to sleep. For seven years. This is the podcast where two actual witches analyze and review representations of witchcraft in media and pop culture. Today, as Siren has let you all know, we are going to be continuing to discuss the Charmed Reboot fourth and final season. This is the highest rated season of the show, interestingly enough, with nearly every episode reaching over seven out of ten. The highest of which is Be Kind Rewind, episode 12 of the fourth season, which is the next to last of the series. Now, of course, you've probably heard us say this three times before, but going into it, we're going to tell you that, yes, this episode will be full of spoilers. If you don't want spoilers, don't listen. Um, that being said, I am not at all surprised that Be Kind Rewind is the highest rated episode of the season because it was my favorite episode of the season. I thought it was fucking awesome. It was really and good. I live for outdated, unnecessary 90s references, which is probably why I'm the only person who can stand to work on projects with you. <laughs> I really loved all of season four. I thought it was great. So often we get into the last seasons of shows and the actors are tired and they've run out of material and they don't really know what they're going to do to wrap it up. And they didn't, they weren't like for sure that they were getting canceled at the end of the, the season. But I think they started really strong and they stayed really strong throughout the entirety of season four, honestly. It has a peculiar energy because they are reinventing the show under the threat of cancellation. <laughs> um, so I guess they were trying to prove that they could take the show in a new direction and be worthy of staying on the network. And honestly, I think they succeeded with that, irregardless of the fact that they did end up getting canceled. But of course, we'll get to that at the end. Anytime that a show loses a main character and then continues on another season, there has to be a period of like morning after that character is lost and especially with a show like charmed where it's a sister that is lost it has to be like taken special care of and so i think they spend a really good chunk of the first part of season four grieving macy which is something that i thought the original show did really well too if you watch season four of the original charmed Prue is mentioned in every single episode until like halfway through the season, and they still continue to talk about her. But for probably the first 12 episodes, her name comes up at least once every time, as it should. Yeah. Because grief is long and challenging, and you do have to move on with your life, but you don't stop grieving just because life goes on. And I think um, both of these shows really illustrated that. That's something that's kind of unfair about grief in real life is that life just goes on and nothing stops and you're just kind of expected to go on with it, even though you've lost this really big part of yourself. Um, and I think that the sisters in season four of both shows really exemplify that. The grief feels so real because... They've just lost a member of their family, their sister, their best friend. And it's like their responsibilities don't go away. 
they still have to be the charmed ones and still have to protect people and still have to be alert and aware and do their job while dealing with this enormous weight on their shoulders, you know? Yes, um, I do know, actually. And if it's okay, I'd love to talk about it. Um, because this really has a parallel for me. Um, so just um, 12 days ago, at the time that we're recording, 12 days ago was the one year anniversary of a dear friend of mine dying. And he was a coworker. And he was like, he was a coworker, but he was more than that. To me, he was a mentor. He was a friend. He was someone who just made me feel better, whether my problems were work related or not. He helped me through my divorce. Um, he was very important to me. His name was Michael. And he was also very close to another of my work friends named Tabitha. Um, Tabitha and I still talk about him all the time. We still miss him all the time. But we both experienced not only having to just go on with work and still have a job have to get done while mourning him, but also, like, the responsibility dealing with the aftermath of his death while at work when he was someone that we loved... (laughs) It's been a very challenging experience. It was so hard. And, you know, I had to help out with things that he would have done if he was still there. So I I really feel like this experience is universal um, in some way or another. We all have experienced or are going to experience grieving the loss of a person while also having to deal with the fact that that person is not there in the most mundane of ways that seems so unimportant compared to the way that we're feeling. Mm -hmm. And television shows like this really get to grapple with all of that and provide us a medium of expressing those feelings cathartically in the safety of our own like living rooms and bedrooms, but also just making us feel like we're not alone in this experience. So we've talked a lot on this show about like a Western fear of death, right? It's so ingrained in Western culture to be afraid of dying. And just in case you go to hell because you're a sick, perverted son of a bitch. It gives us the space to like come to terms with it in our real lives. And like when I... When I watch season five of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, for example, I'm a mess. Of course. (laughs) And watching that gives me such, it gives me a place to have those emotions come out and be expressed in a connection with the television character in in a way that is less real, I guess, or in a way that is safer, that allows me to experience those feelings without all of the heavy real life parts of it. It just gives a safe space for grief which I think that this season of the show also does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I am fascinated by episodes of television that are about death and grief. I really am. And it's, it's not the same as like movies about it. Because with television, you know, sometimes you're experiencing the death of a character that you have been able to love and experience for years <laughs> prior to this, you know. And these episodes are fascinating. Like, how do we deal with grief? How do we deal with the stillness of moments where there's nothing to do in relation to the death and we just have to exist? How do we deal with what it's like to be at funerals, to be grieving, to be with people who are challenging in some way or another? Because, you know, family drama. I am fascinated by that and I really love television shows that explore it and do it well Um, because I just feel like there's like a lot of universal truth to glean from that and ultimately we are when we're watching these shows we are preparing ourselves for how we are going to react 
when we are in that situation, when a loved one has died. I truly believe that 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 is something we are all consciously or unconsciously doing when we watch TV shows about grief and death. So I just, I feel like there's a lot of value here, even though, you know, the reason Macy's not on the show is because her actress just didn't want to be anymore. But they took that and made it into like a real study of grief and death. And the original charm did the same thing when Shannon Doherty left. And I feel like they did it very well too. So it's this very strange parallel that I don't know if we were all wanting or hoping for, but I do like that both shows really tackled this topic in a good way. So another thing, and this is specifically within the charmed universe, introducing the destruction of the sisterhood idea where one of the sisters is destined to die incorporated what happened in the first Charmed, in a way. It absolutely did. That's what I thought. Yeah. And it's funny to me because I feel like they did that before they even realized that it was actually going to happen to them. Yeah, I do too. I think I don't think it was um, intentional, but it did open the door for this parallel to, to happen. And I, I love what you said there. The very simple fact of a person just quitting their job and developed it into this story that can provide so much catharsis and really gives the characters within the universe a whole nother layer. I mean, Harry, Maggie, and Mel just go through it this season. Yeah. Even though it stops being the focal point at a certain point in the season, they don't ever stop grieving Macy. No. It changed the characters and it changed the way that the characters were interacting with each other, the way that the characters were interacting with the world that they were in. And it was just so true to form. This is probably, I would say, one of the most realistic interpretations of what it's like to just go on living after someone has died than I have ever seen. I also talk about and think about death a lot. I like to say that death and I are close personal friends just because I have buried pretty much my entire family. It's just like this. It's just like this to have this major loss and have to continue doing what you're doing and nothing stops, nothing changes, except that this person's not there anymore, which for you is a monumental difference, but for the world around you, doesn't matter much. And yeah. (laughs) And it's like, I think that that comes into play with this season throughout the, the, I think the whole trajectory of this season, it kind of does that because the, the charmed ones just lost their sister. Mel and Maggie just lost their sister, their sister that came into their lives at a time when they really needed to, to have a family and to stay close to each other. And Macy did that for them. And she just died and they're dealing with that and they're grieving that. And the rest of the magical community doesn't give a fuck that that just happened. They don't care. Yeah. They don't care. And the added layer of they're dealing with the fact that the reason that she was brought into their lives, that they know her at all, is also the same reason that she is dead. Woo. Yeah. That's heavy. It's super heavy. And I, I've i experienced this all three times that someone has died in my life, where it's like, I have had to grapple with the fact that I just lost this significant person in my life, however tumultuous the relationship was, and not only take care of all of those responsibilities that have to do with the loss of this person, be they practical responsibilities or emotional responsibilities to keep myself from falling apart, but also like going back to work and paying my bills on time and having social interactions. Shit that's already hard. Stuff, okay. stuff that is already hard becomes that much paying harder. Paying bills and having friends and going to work is hard. It just, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop just because this person is gone. And there's an element of that that can be comforting. And there's also an element of it that can really piss you off if you think about it too much. Yeah, both. Both. 
And of course, if you think about it long enough, you eventually get to the part where you realize that the world will carry on just like this when you die. Yep. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about ourselves. <laughs> Let's talk about how our characters are dealing with grieving Macy. Um, I personally appreciated that Maggie like really channeled all of her anger into like fighting demons and becoming a badass. Um, that is the route that Piper took in the original series when Prue died. Um, she just wanted to kill all the demons. And Maggie is right there with the killing the demons. Um, she's let her rage fuel her into becoming even more of a badass. She's become like even better with her physical fighting. You know, mm -hmm. um, here's where I really notice a stark difference between Maggie and Phoebe, who allegedly come from the same like idea, you know, whereas like p everyone would be like, oh, Phoebe, all you have is premonitions and you're cute little flying. How can you go out and fight demons alone? But Maggie goes out and fights demons alone and everybody's just like, she'll be fine. That chick's scary. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Maggie is, Maggie's a different person. Maggie is not Phoebe, because Phoebe, as we have established, sucks. Um, well, yeah, but Phoebe could also kick ass all by herself, but still, everyone was just like, well, your powers are stupid, you know? <laughs> um, but nobody's like that with Maggie. They're just like, yeah, she's got this. I wouldn't fuck with Maggie. Absolutely not. She she would kick my ass up and down. Yeah, well, and, but Maggie's powers also have developed into a little bit more of um offensive nature in some ways than Phoebe's ever did, in my opinion. Except for that one episode where that we'll talk about very soon, where they go to the future and she can, like, electrocute people's brains or whatever but um, yeah when did that never happen i don't know but i tend to deal with grief a little bit more like mel which is being a slut um yeah mel is just <laughs> fucking everybody and everything she's not fucking just witches she's not fucking just humans she's fucking magical creatures out the wazoo she's shoving she's fucking her way through the whole magic bar. she is <laughs> sitting down on garden gnomes the whole enchilada it is just <laughs> <sighs> Yeah. And I can relate to that, not necessarily sitting on a garden gnome, but yeah, sometimes, sometimes getting lost in physical pleasure, it's not even about sex. It's just being able to not think about what you're actually feeling for a little bit, to take an hour to just feel good and to not have to think about the person that you love that just died or is dying and just focus on coming. Like, yeah, it's nice. What I like about both of these portrayals is that, I mean, we think of like basically like fucking and fighting as sort of like self-destructive behaviors, but I really feel like it's shown in a pretty non-judgmental way. They're both doing what they need to to get through the day. And is there actually anything objectively wrong with it? Because Maggie is out there making the streets safer. And I don't know if you know this, but we are a pro-sex, sex-positive podcast. Um, So I am just fine with anybody out there having consensual sex with whoever and in theory whatever they want i said consensual guys focus on that word consensual sex with whoever you want if, as long as it's helpful to you in some way i think that's great so get it girl yeah i mean i i fully support coping through sex i think that it can be really healing oh I know you're doing. Here's the thing. The sexual experience is healing. It is. Especially if you have a trauma that you can explore in a warm, loving, healthy, consensual way to heal. I think that sex can be incredibly healing for all sorts of different emotional needs. Um, as long as you're doing it in a healthy way. I don't necessarily think that Mel is being healthy in her sexual habits in this season. Well, she's kind of bailing on people who aren't aware that they're being 
used. Yeah. So there's a little bit of that. Yeah, she's not she's not treating the people that she is healing with very well. She's not treating them with a lot of respect, which I think is where the problem is coming from. And I can relate to that too. But you know what else? She's famous and they all know that her sister died and they all talk about her in the bar all the time. So like, come on. The nickname that they come up with for her in the bar is really stupid, in my opinion. It is really stupid. Kiss and tell Mel. <laughs> Kiss and tell Mel. Who's she telling? Yeah. Who's she kissing and telling? Know. It's a little... It's a little middle school. It's very Um, middle school. So while this is going on, though, we didn't really cover this in our last episode, but at the end of season three, there was a very Star Wars moment where um, Ishta, the guardian of the tree, that we may or may not know what that's for, um, but Ishta tells them that there is another. Their, you know, Princess Leia basically is out there who also can use the Force. Um, so while they are grieving Macy and fighting demons and having a bunch of sex, they're also out there looking for their new charmed one. And they're also like fighting with each other. Mel and Maggie are not getting along, which again, very realistic. They're, they're going through death and grief in various ways. They're not getting along. They don't like each other right now, but they have this shared mission of finding the next charmed one as if it's going to make everything okay. And guess what? It doesn't because... Of course it wouldn't. No, you can't. I think what they're attempting to do with Kayla, who we're about to talk about, is it... Well, let's just get into it. Who the, who the fuck is our new Charmed One? Our new Charmed One is Kayla. She's played by an actress named Lucy Barrett. Uh, Kayla is a bisexual cancer survivor graffiti artist who lives on a bus, which is cool as fuck. <laughs> it is. So our feelings about Kayla are that she's cool as fuck, but also she's a little bit too much. <laughs> she's a little bit too much. Like there's a, there's a lot of niche boxes that Kayla is checking. However, when you watch it happen on screen, you're just kind of like, wow. She's the coolest bitch alive. Um, yeah. I think so. She's very, like, be gay, do crime. Like, she's the embodiment of be gay, do crime for me. She's amazing. <laughs> I live for her. She's amazing. I love <laughs> Kayla. But I think what Mel and Maggie are attempting to do with Kayla is very similar to the idea of, like, when you get out of one relationship and immediately start another one. Yes. To like, like, let's find our new sister and then we won't miss our old sister. We'll be fine. Yes. It's very much that. Kayla has some really cool powers. <laughs> She does, and I want to talk about them and also ask all of you to talk about them to me. Kayla has manifestation powers, so anything that Kayla draws, and in theory, if we had gotten to see her powers expand, just thinks about, kind of like Phoebe's bat thing, um, her sports equipment power, (laughs) becomes real. Yes, but they're based on her artwork. Yes. Like, she draws something, and then she can make it come to life and that actually appeared twice in the original charm that's the one you were talking about which is more of a correlation but there's also that episode where Paige draws the warlock and then she uses the drawing to like summon his ring from him yes Yes. Yeah. So there's a there's a little bit of um precedent for this. Yeah. So um so Kayla is fucking awesome. And that's short for Michaela by the way. So we still have an M name. I thought that was pretty cute to keep with the alliterative names but also take the M away from her at the same time, you know? And I think it's fitting with the reveal 
that we'll get into later. But the point is we meet Kayla and we have no idea why she has powers or how she's connected to them. No fucking clue. And everyone's confused. And I was like genuinely excited to figure it out. I thought they really built the mystery on that one. They did too. I I honestly did assume that it was because Marisol was a whore and just had another baby. <laughs> you would think, but Marisol surprised us all um, yeah. by not being a whore this time. I mean, she did have an affair, but it was with her ex-husband so is it okay then listen i'm not here to judge marisol she can fuck whoever she wants and have as many babies as she wants that's not up to listen me. as a poly person i am all about free love if you want to have two husbands have two husbands do your thing well listen i mean don't you don't have to defend her we're not slut shaming here we're slut praising okay that's what we do on this podcast um as long as marisol doesn't steal my book of shadows and take off to a different country with it on account of the fact that she's had too many kids then she and i are cool (laughs) yeah i just assumed that marisol was like popping out babies left and right like she was a gatling gun or something just like wow in the stirrup shooting out babies wow maybe that was one of her powers i don't know could be premonitions and procreation i guess they seem to go (laughs) you know they first meet kayla and they treat her like crap (laughs) And it's like a very hard episode. The episode where she's like trying to get to know them and they are like so mean to her. They are very mean to her. I I love it. But like Phoenix and I both, like we were like texting each other immediately. Like, oh my God, they're so mean to her. Um, But I think it's super realistic because... You know, she was their, like, hope. Like, they find her and then things will get better. And then they have to grapple with the fact that, oh, no, they're still grieving Macy. Meeting her did not erase the loss. And now she's just right there in their face, like, telling them that life goes on, basically, by her very existence. And they're just grieving again. So I thought it was really realistic and kind of beautiful, but also horrible for Kayla, obviously. Yeah, Kayla did not have the best time. Honestly, especially in that episode where she'd, like, where they're having their first, like, family dinner and she accidentally uses a bowl that was Macy's and like because the food that she made was associated with Macy and they were just all like oh my god I can't do this I'm gonna go be dramatic somewhere else I hated it I just hated it because it's like I can understand the characters motivations right I can understand why they were feeling that way towards Kayla but Kayla existing and being the next charmed one is not the reason that Macy is gone and that at least for a little while was kind of how they treated her when they met her especially harry this episode is brought to you by visit williamsburg in williamsburg virginia there's never too much of a good thing whether you're a foodie a golfer a history buff a shopaholic an outdoor enthusiast or a thrill seeker you'll find what you came for here and more so ask yourself what is it you want Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Which I think is expected. But yeah, we haven't really said anything about Harry and Jordan yet. So I guess I do want to highlight a few things. Um, Jordan, still my favorite character, especially in this season. Um, he just keeps getting hotter and more amazing all the time. But now he now he's absorbed um, some of Harry's white lighter power to heal. So Jordan can heal people now. And the effect is different. He has this like blue violet healing light that I just think looks really nice. And Harry, consumed with grief, has completely given up his white lighter powers in exchange for the ability to speak with the dead and cross over into the world of the dead. And they start calling him a necro lighter, which I think is a ridiculous portmanteau, but I'll allow it. Well, in here, that's just, that's the thing. There are just, there's just so many, like, really close associations within Charmed to necrophilia, and that's, that's, (laughs) 
and you always want to take it there. It's true. Okay? Always. If they're not having sex with the dead, they're having sex with their siblings. And that's all we talk about on this show. <laughs> that's all we talk about. That's all we talk about. I, I'm sorry I'm not seeing the problem here. Hi, this is Witch Bitches Review, and we are the premier niche undead incest podcast. <laughs> um, mm. um, so yeah... Uh, Harry has developed these powers through becoming connected with the, um, proprietor of Mel's slut bar, Roxy. Yeah, so let's talk about Roxy in the bar, because I enjoyed the character and the setting. I did too. Uh, so Roxy is a character who runs a bar called the Blue Camellia, which is a bar for magical creatures, and it is pretty much the new P3. But it's also, it, okay, so P3, yes, it is the new P3, but P3 was very mainstream, and the Blue Camellia is not that. The Blue Camellia is an allegory for a gay bar. Like, are you just getting this? Yes. Okay, so an older, powerful lesbian runs this bar. It's a bar for magical creatures who don't feel like they belong anywhere else, where they can go and be themselves. The Blue Camellia is a gay bar. The Blue Camellia is a gay bar. Uh, Mel goes there to meet all sorts of other queer women. Fuck, man. You're blowing my mind right now. Maybe I just didn't... I didn't pick up on it because I don't go to bars, Siren. I am a sober individual, except for weed. Um, And I... So I don't drink alcohol and bars make me viscerally uncomfortable, even if they are gay bars. Well, I'll give you that. And I really, I mean, I don't go to the gay bar a lot, but I was 21 at some point many years ago. I have, I've always been really uncomfortable in bars. And so that's not a setting that I find uh, comfort in. So I'm not, I didn't pick up on it because it's not something that makes me comfortable and feel safe. Not because I'm Mm. unaware of gay people needing those spaces. I just want to be clear about that. I didn't pick up on it because mm-hmm. it's not a place that I would feel comfortable. Well, and yeah, no, I mean, that that totally tracks. I mean, I can tell you, if you're at a gay bar with me, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to dance around a lot. Um, the more I drink, the worse my dancing will get. Um, I will think that everyone there is beautiful and I will only get hit on by the oldest white man in the building. And uh, that's a typical outing with Siren. Well, see, uh, fair enough. <laughs> I could see that being the, being the case. I was going to say I typically like daddy. So if an old man hits on me, I'm not going to be like super uh, averse to that. Well, I'm going to start bringing you out with me so that I can redirect their attention. <laughs> well, it depends on, you know, what they look like and if they have all their teeth. Um So I do have some standard siren, some. Few and far between, but sure. So um, the bar is run by a woman named Roxy, who is, as we are told, a circadian. Oh, this is a Roxy. Oh, Roxy was your dog's name. Roxy was my dog's oh. name. I was just talking about her. She's dead, for those of you that don't know. And she was the fucking best. Yeah. <laughs> I loved that dog. She was great. She was great. Um. Anyway, this Roxy is not my dog. Uh. No. And she's called a circadian. And apparently they sleep for seven years. Is this based on anything? Do you know? You're a little bit more versed in Greek mythology than me. Yeah. So so I did look this up. Um, so I couldn't find anything. It's I mean, it's probably possible that there are mythological creatures who, like, I guess hibernate for a time period and then come back. I mean, you could say it's an extension of Persephone. Actually. That's what it made me think of. Um, you could say that, but it's it's I don't know, it's it's far too different. Um <clears throat> Circadian is an actual word. Um, and it, it's a, I guess, scientific word that describes processes that have a 24 hour rhythm. And 
circadian is Latin, literally Latin for about a day. Um, so that also doesn't really add up to me. Um, I mean, they say that like your sleep cycle is part of your circadian rhythm and a circadian rhythm is something that every human has, blah, blah, blah. But that's, it doesn't really all add up for me. I think it's kind of a loosely applied word in this case. But in the universe of the Charmed Reboot, a circadian is an immortal being that can only spend one year on the surface and then must sleep underground for seven years afterward. Why? We don't know. I don't even think we were literally told what would happen to her if she didn't go underground. Um... But she's also allegedly the last of her kind, I guess because someone that sleeps underground for seven years is probably pretty easy to like hunt down and kill. Um, but, but why is this happening? I think the main reason is to up the stakes, to put Roxy in a relationship with Mel that like has a predetermined time limit on the relationship before it even starts. And I guess for us to deal with that. <laughs> As we've established through the last three seasons they don't really love for mel to have long-term girlfriends they do not so like already built into this one they were like here's a time limit on this one that we can just export her out of the story without having to come up with something crazy yeah so roxy loved a woman named camellia which is why her bar is called the blue camellia yes and i wanted to bring up that for that reason but also to tell you that camellia is a black lesbian in like the 20s and even though we are misdirected to believe that she did die. She didn't. Did She did not. She did not. So I am adding Camellia's name to our list of queer women of color who don't die. And I hope you're all excited. I'm going to reiterate and count the entire list at the end of this episode. Won't that be fun? <laughs> Yay. I can't wait. So let's talk a little bit more about, I want to talk a little bit more about the Blue Camellia as a gay bar because that kind of opened my eyes to a little bit more of this. How, how do you, how do you feel about that as an idea and a concept within this show? Oh, I liked it. Um, I thought it was a very clever metaphor because in all types of media, um, people with abilities, people with powers, people with magic, witches, is um, very often a code to tell stories about outsiders. And a lot of times those codes about outsiders are talking about queer people. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, things are changing. We now have television shows that can have more than 10 queer people, you know, throughout the life of the show, um, which is huge, but that's not the common experience for a lot of us. And I think people our age still remember what it was like when we were younger and we were alone and isolated and there weren't media representations. Like we carry all of that trauma with us still. Um, So I won't say that gay bars in particular were like very helpful to me, but I definitely did find some like queer communities that were very powerful and helpful to me. Um, so I just really, I really dig the metaphor, um, especially also as like a, a queer witch, you know. I love anything that correlates witchiness and magic to queerness because I am both of those things. So I think that's fantastic. So when we have this blue camellia that like literally is like the magical gay bar, like it's both of those things. That's pretty awesome. And I would probably go there. I would go there too, except people seem to like die there frequently, which is not my favorite thing. Well, that does happen, but we do know that the queer women of color are safe and won't die there. <laughs> yes. Um. So I, I think that, honestly, that adds a whole other layer of groundbreakingness to this show to represent a queer space like that, because so often not only are queer people misrepresented, but our spaces are often also misrepresented. When we, when we think of shows like, like Queer as Folk, Right. The original, not necessarily the new one. Club Babylon, 
was it was their hub, but it was also like seedy and gross. And, you know, there are lots of gay bars that are like that, but not all of our spaces are like that. It- but they're not all like that. Um, the gay bar that in my city, like there isn't really a place where you can just go in the basement and a bunch of dudes are blowing each other. I looked. Um, it's it's not happening it's not happening um oh there are plenty of places like that here if that's what you're looking for okay well that's another another reason to move to chicago i guess but yeah i think having our space represented as a place to go for solace and a space to go for connection and comfort and safety uh really encapsulates the essence of what gay bars are supposed to be and unfortunately they're not always safe spaces um as we see in a certain episode of this show and in real life so often um but i think i mean that just really opened my eyes a lot to think about it that way because i was like oh well this is just p3 mel's gonna take it over and it's gonna be like the club and everything's gonna happen there from now on that's gonna be their meeting place and it's just to give them another set but thinking about it that way that gives me a lot more respect for what the blue camellia was trying to achieve yeah i do think i do think it's probably a little bit of an homage to p3 though because in season four as part of their reinvention, I think they did want to come back to some um, tropes from the original a little bit. And of course, we'll see more of that mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, so, I, th- you know, I think it's a mix of both. I think like what if P3 existed in the super woke, socially responsible universe of this show and the Blue Camellia is what came from that? Yeah. I also love the way that they get in and out of the Blue Camellia with the matchbooks and the candles. That's cool. Yeah. It's got its own little iconography, which is fun. So let's let's talk about about villains let's talk about some of the villains yeah let's talk about the the problems why don't you go ahead and talk about the tally man for a little bit because i didn't like him so okay no the tally man is stupid um i think that while it had a lot of good things going on this story arc of this season did take a minute to take off and it's because they did this misdirect in the beginning where you think the tally man is kind of this new big bad and he's it just kind of calls back to the boogeyman for me. Um, what is the song, Phoenix, that you looked into? Oh, so when you Google when you Google Tallyman, the first thing that comes up is the Harry Belafonte song. It's the the song in Beetlejuice. The Me said Deo Daylight oh. Come and Me Wanna Go Home. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So I don't know if the What does that what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it means. So is is the tally man like a mythological figure that I don't know about? Is it related to the boogeyman? I don't think so. I think it's just a song. I think it's just a song. Um, and... Oh my God. If Okay. If you look up tally man, um, this is an, an older word. A person who keeps a score or record of something. Like a man who keeps tallies. Is that related? So it makes it seem as though like he is the scorekeeper like the charmed ones Mm -hmm. are have these strikes against them and we're striking back but i couldn't find anything about the song that he sings i've not ever heard it before so i think it might have been made up well so i want to talk about what the tally man does ultimately do because i did find it fascinating and i have never seen anything like it on a tv show like this so the tally man you know originally shows up and he's he's killing magical creatures and some kind of roundabout nefarious ways and we're not really sure what's going on so what happens is the tally man blames these deaths on the charmed one and then we are introduced to this magical social media 
concept where they all have crystals that broadcast like videos and stuff. It's called Gemcast. Gemcast is like the magical Facebook, YouTube, TikTok Mm -hmm. of the world. And the Tallyman uses this Gemcast to launch a social media propaganda campaign against the Charmed Ones, where he is trying to indoctrinate all of these magical creatures against them. And it's like so very like Alex Jones, Jordan Peterson. It's so realistic. It's so relevant to our real world. And I know that the show creators did that on purpose. Of course they did. Of course they did. For me, it was a little too on the nose. Um, It was a little too MAGA. Like I liked it. I liked it. Calling it Gemcast. I didn't care for that. I feel like it could have had a better name. But I don't know. It was it was too real for me because I was watching it and I was like, I know people that are exactly like this. Man, I I liked it. It just seemed very much like a call out of like all these awful people who are like sitting in their studios and trying to inspire other people to do violence and enact hatred on their behalf. Mm-hmm. Like that's what it was. And I feel like seeing it on the show like this can maybe be a little eye opening to people who don't realize what social media can do to them or maybe already has done to them. You know, I liked it. I think I thought it was a really proper blend of realism and TV fantasy. I really did. Um, And I've definitely had my name and the names of people I know. Well, social media handles at least, but be used in things like that. Like I've seen Facebook posts talking about me and how I'm a horrible person and like having people share them. Like, I've been through that. I know what that feels like. And it felt really realistic to me. The The part where I, the part I don't like is I, the, the metaphor doesn't entirely work. In season four, we're being told that the magical creatures who aren't witches are like outcasts and minorities and maybe a little oppressed. But they're also the target of this like gem cast indoctrination propaganda thing. And that's not necessarily how it usually goes. It's usually people who feel like they are supposed to be privileged, namely straight cis white men, but they're feeling disenfranchised. They're feeling like their lives haven't led up to the full potential they were promised, which is quite frankly, usually due to um, poverty and capitalism. Um, But so we take people like that, people who've been taught they should have privilege, but feel like they don't. And then these social media scam artists like target them and try to weaponize their feelings try to turn them against a scapegoat basically like that's what we're talking about and so that's why the metaphor doesn't fully work for me because i just don't feel like the magical creatures that have basically been coded to us as queer outcasts would be the target of a campaign like that that being said there are you know tons of like white gay men who can be radicalized against people of color and women so you know maybe it does work so as you were talking about that to me it sort of feels like it's a little sloppy as a metaphor and as such it could very easily be twisted to especially since a majority of the witches on the show are queer women of color like it could very easily be twisted to view queer people as the enemy in all regards uh, which I think is a little which was definitely not the intention but it could have been a little irresponsible depending on the demographic they were. Perhaps, but ultimately, you know, I not in like major social media examples like this. Like when you think about like Alex Jones, for example, like, you know, he's going after cis straight white dudes, obviously. Um, I don't know who that is. But, oh, well, you probably just keep it that way. Um, He's the one who said that like the government's turning frogs gay. Oh. You don't know that guy? 
<laughs> well, I just looked him up, and um, he looks like he likes it up the ass and is just uh, kind of upset about it. He's definitely horny for gay frogs. <laughs> um, I guess it can come back together and just... Because we, we, we ultimately realize is the magical community has turned against the Charmed Ones, which is, again, an, an echo of something the original did in their final season. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we we have to learn at the end that we have more in common than we don't. And that's why we need to support each other. And that's the ultimate lesson. And also, you know, we have a note at the end of viewing the humanity of the people who have been indoctrinated at the same time. Like Harry wants to tell their stories and clear things out with their families and help people understand that they've been manipulated, that they were not bad people. They've been manipulated. So that's like another element of it, too. So there's just there's a lot to discuss there. And it all has just very, very strong correlations to like real world events. So it's pretty heavy. It's a lot to get into it's pretty heavy-handed and i think you did say that and that's part of why it didn't sit really well with me it was uncomfortable to watch and to like because i'm not like that (laughs) and so like just seeing it happen in this show that is like a form of escapism for it to be Mm. so real and in your face i think was it was a bit much for me and see that is a that's a difference of opinion that we cannot persuade each other into i think because both both opinions are valid Mm -hmm. like you know some people are just here for escapism and the world sucks and everyone does deserve a little bit of escapism Mm -hmm. but some people are masochists like me who just eat that shit up so uh yeah no i i totally get what you're saying but it was nice to quite literally see that blow up in his face and the social media indoctrinated people just kind of be being big babies about it that was that was fun but the but what he accomplished sticks long after his death and that's the thing with propaganda and indoctrination is the source of it can stop but the quote-unquote lessons it has imparted continue and that continues to spread that's i mean that's a big part of why america specifically is the way that it is because i mean look at like the way that the aids crisis impacted public perception of queer people yeah for, for still still even still I think we could be we could even be more like micro and modern about it and say you know this season came out during a Biden presidency where we are still totally feeling the effects of a Trump presidency like the things that he's done are living on just because he's out of office doesn't mean the problems are over and I'm not at all trying to imply that a Biden presidency is the cure (laughs) please don't assume I said that because I didn't. No, it's it's still shitty. It's still shitty. As heavy-handed as some of the story arcs are, there's also some pretty heavy-handed terrible effects and plot lines yes. aside from that in this season. Oh, God. Can we just talk about that fountain for a minute? Because, God. Yeah, okay. Did you hate the fountain as much as I, I did? I did. I didn't think it looked like a duck. I thought it looked like uh, an evil vagina. Well, okay, so that's that comes later. But So there's this part where a little rubber duck is put into a fountain. Oh, God. And the rubber duck... Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, the rubber duck swims around the fountain, spraying some kind of black liquid or smoke into the fountain, and then this causes, like, an evil vagina plant that spits thorns to grow. Yeah. It's it's a lot. Um, But just when I was watching the shots of the duck swimming around the fountain, like, spraying black smoke, I was like, wow, this is probably the dumbest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Because I think think that stuffed elephant, the killer stuffed elephant, was the worst. But I hadn't seen that yet, so I didn't know it was going to get dumber. It was so stupid. I don't even remember why that happens. It's like some magical ingredients spill or something because people are fighting. Okay, listen, it's because this is a term that they use a whole 
whole lot in the show and I'm going to get into the dialogue and the writing in just a second. But Maggie's bio dad is conjured back from the great beyond for like 20 minutes. Her, uh, father figure, Ray, is still there and they get into an argument and because her bio dad is there, magic is all topsy-turvy and backwards. It's like fucking opposite day. Oh, yes. That's right. It makes magic opposite day. That was And it. then they spill some wolf's bane essence onto this stuffed elephant. and it, Which instead of killing it, brings it to life. Which instead of killing it, brings it to life. But does that explain why the elephant is filled with homicidal rage? <laughs> No, it does not. <laughs> so this this is literally an entire episode, you guys. Um, we're definitely not selling the show on you right now, but it's an entire episode with a stuffed pink elephant named Trunksy who speaks in a stupid ass cartoon <laughs> voice and wants to kill everyone. <laughs> and that's just a thing that we let. That's just a thing that happens. It's just a thing that happens. I want to talk a little bit about the dialogue in this season because it's a similar problem that we have experienced throughout the show but it's a lot worse in this last season. It doesn't impact the way that I feel about the season. But we mentioned in our first couple of episodes how they harp on the same thing over and over and over again. I have demon blood, demon blood, demon side, human side. Yeah. It's They use the same phrasing for things over yes, and over repeatedly. and over and over. And it doesn't feel natural. It doesn't. So they use the term bio parents, bio dad, biomorphers. Like, I, it's just... <laughs> It's just fucking like Megatron, Decepticons, over and over and over and over again. And it just, it makes it feel, the first couple of times it was fine. I was like, okay, they're just abbreviating the word biology, cool, or biological, cool. But then they kept doing it to the point where it didn't feel natural at all. Well, now I am a person who has used the phrase bio dad. Well, that's okay. It's not an improper phrase, but they use it in every episode. Yeah. There was a lot of exploring daddy issues going on here, but do you... Do you honestly just, like, barely even want to talk about it? Yeah. Like, let's just say that it happened, but whatever. But the the dialogue is very overwritten and soap opera-ish, which is a fate it, that befalls a lot of CW shows, which is really, really unfortunate because the season, in my opinion was really cool. It was. I feel like Kayla got hit the most with it mm -hmm. because they were trying to cram all of her character development into such a short season because the season's only 12 episodes, right? 13, I think. 13. Okay. Yeah. Um so, but it didn't make me like her less. Um I feel like Lucy Barrett as an actress like did the absolute best that she could with the lines that she was given. Oh, Lucy Barrett did an incredible job. She did. I thought she was so good. She was so but, like, good. Some of her lines were not good. Some of her lines were not good. A lot of the lines were not good. The dialogue is really overwritten in this season. And I mean, it's just like, it's really the, it's a fucking lot this season. <laughs> it's a lot this season. It is. But do you know what? I also had kind of the same experience with season two, whereas like I thought season four had a really rough start. And by the end of it, I was like 100% invested. I can agree with that. I can agree with that. Um, and there's just something, there's something about, and this is going to sound weird, but there's just something about Lucy Barrett's face that makes me like her so much. I completely understand that. It's like her facial expressions, the way that she emotes. There's just something about the way that she looks when she is acting that makes me feel really connected to her. I found her infinitely likable. Yes. Um, I mean, Jordan is still my favorite character overall, but Jordan Donica is, I think, also a wonderful actor. Yeah. 
Um, but of in season four of the sisters, Kayla was my favorite in every moment, hands down. Yeah. So we also meet Dev, who uh, I love Dev. Me too. I love Dev. Um. So this was this was mean, honestly, is what it was. Yeah. Dev is a beautiful Indian siren man who just wants nothing more than to be there for Kayla and be her boyfriend. Um, yeah. And he's he's amazing, quite frankly. Um, he's so great. He did get to sing a little bit. Um, I don't think they actually called him a siren. I think that's my word. No, they called him something else. But he his magic was in his singing. Um, and he was, oh, he's so beautiful. Um, and just, Kayla was very like, you don't have to pretend that you like me. We can just fuck. And he was like, no, I'm crazy about you. Can you stop being a bitch about that? Dev was a Gadarva or a Gondarva. What does that mean? Is that is that a, a real word? It's a magical being that can affect his surroundings with his voice. Oh, it is a real thing. I'm going to read the Wikipedia page really quick. Please do. Uh, in Hinduism, Buddhism, and Yanism, a Gadarva is a class of celestial beings whose males are divine singers and females are divine dancers from the Gandhara religion. It's also a term for skilled singers in Indian classical music. So it is a real thing. That's really, really cool. I love that. That is really cool because, you know, they're bringing a little bit of another culture into the show with some, like, actual facts. And then they kill him. And then he dies. Um, Yeah, so Dev was amazing and he dies um, helping the charmed one. He also has this storyline where he's been indoctrinated by the Gemcast propaganda and then he meets them and, you know, unlearns all this horrible stuff he heard about them, which I think is another important story. But he dies. Um, he, and I sort of feel like he died for Kayla's character development. Like, he was the man in the refrigerator. Yeah, I I didn't like it. And I always really hate when cute boys die and stuff. I know. Oh my god, do you want to know like one of the ways that I knew I was gay? It was because every time a cute boy died in a movie, I cried. Mm, mm-hmm, every mm-hmm. single time. And I'd always get so mad. And I'd be like, why did my favorite character just die? And my dad was like, why is he your favorite character? He was boring. And I was like, because I want to suck his dick, dad. Because he's a cute guy. Yeah, no. The, the guy I think is hot usually dies in the movie. Truthfully. Same. Yeah, probably because he's queer coded, and that's why I think he's hot. But um, no, I hated it. I hated it when Dev died. Dev gives such like bisexual vibes. He does, but I don't believe that we were told that officially. Mm-mm. So it's not canon. But it can be head canon. <laughs> head. Head. <clears throat> but I would give Dev head. Jesus Christ, he was hot. I would. I would too. Um, no, he was great. Another thing that happens this season is Maggie beats the shit out of a cat collar, and I thought it was incredible. I love that scene, and the and they kind of portrayed that as like her on the path of self destruction, and you know it did have realistic consequences. Like you know we've seen charmed ones go to jail before. Like it, it was always happening to Prue. But, you know, always for, like, something that was actually beyond their control. We've never seen a scene where, like, one of the charmed ones, like, literally does something illegal, like beating a man half to death in the street and then, like, has to go to jail over it. Yeah, I mean, the guy deserved it, though, so... But listen, I want you to know that if you're a woman out there and a 
man you don't know is harassing you and making you feel unsafe and making you feel like he's going to commit sexual violence against you, it is totally okay with me if you beat the shit out of him. Yes. And I um, live for Maggie and that she did that. I love it. Honestly, I love the journey that it takes her on too for her, like, because that's the moment that she realizes like, oh, something is is wrong with me. And yes, I was defending myself, but I might have taken it too far and I might be projecting something. She has such an emotional intelligence about her. I love Maggie so much. And I love that, again, I love that it had real world consequences. I love that she had to go to court over it. I love that she needed anger management classes. I love that there was some sort of follow-up to their actions because that's one of the things that I love a lot about Buffy the Vampire Slayer is no one ever gets away with anything, right? Like there's always a consequence to an action, even though sometimes it's misogynistic. But that's something that the original charm doesn't do very much. Like things can happen and then nothing comes of it. Yeah, I mean, if this had happened on the original Charmed, it would have been like kind of a pervy demon who they killed and then that was the right thing to do anyway, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So So I like that there are some real world consequences to their actions that don't get just like magically erased away. But also, I just love when people who sexually prey on, well, anybody, but also women alone at night get the shit beat out of them. I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So... Um, We're actually going to head into a little bit of a segment at this point because, you know, our past few episodes have not had as many segments and I really want to do one. So, Phoenix, could you just take us into Myth Taken? (coughs) I'm leaving that cough in there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you did with my last one. (laughs) That was an accident. (coughs) (laughs) Wrong. Welcome to You Must Be Myth Taken, the part of the show where we call out the wild inaccuracies and misrepresented figures, features, and creatures in mythology. All right, so in a certain episode of season four, we're introduced to the... Grayi, or Grayi, or Grayi. The Grey Witches. Um, let's say that. I think it's... There's a, I don't know, there's a couple of pronunciations. Grayi, or Grayi, or Grayi. I thought it was Grie. I don't know. Um, anyway, so the... Gray-eye, or gray or gray <laughs> Gray-eye for the straight guy. Yeah, basically, gray-eye for the straight guy. Is that our episode title? Um, <laughs> so we're introduced to the reinvention of these characters in the Charmed reboot. They are these three privileged socialites in sunglasses, Gen Z realness, party bitches, love it. Um, they show up at the Blue Camellia and they're just like so extra and they're trying to have a good time. And like, you know, these girls, okay? You see these girls on Instagram. Um, I love that they took that imagery and applied it to the gray eye. The gray, green <laughs> girl. Gray eye or gray or gray. If you know how to pronounce this, will you email us? Thank you. Um, okay. So. What I found um, fascinating, not only the new representation of them, because it's so different than how you see them in mythology, I thought that including the Grey Eye in the last season was really cool because they are possibly the oldest witch trio in mythology, or at least they are in like white slash European mythology. I cannot speak for the rest, 
But if there are echoes of these trios of witches in other religions and cultures, I'd love to hear about that. Please tell us. Um, they come from Greek mythology, and they are the children of sea gods and sisters of the Gorgons, such as, like, Medusa. Their name means old women or gray ones, and um, they share one eye and one tongue. Now, because of this aspect of the myth, a lot of people might think that the Graii are synonymous with the fates, but that is purely an invention of Hercules, the Disney animated movie. <laughs> As I just explained to Phoenix um, in a scene that will probably be deleted. Um, so they are different than the fates. Um, the animated movie took this one eye aspect of the gray eye and gave it to the fates which is kind of fun but ultimately um misleading um in one of their stories perseus um when he was off to kill medusa who i guess was their like sister um he stole their eye to coerce them to tell him how to kill medusa um, yeah but the the gray eye or however you say it Gray eye or gray or gray. <laughs> I feel so fucked on this segment right now. Um, <laughs> I'm almost positive that in the show they say grie. I feel like that's what they said in the show. Yeah, so whatever. So um in the show they they are kind of all knowing, but they will only give truth in exchange for truth. So we go through this thing where Jordan has to admit his complicated feelings about Maggie. And in exchange, the Gryi will tell him something that was relevant to the plot. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, but I just really liked them. Um, I think it's cool that they're included toward the end of the show because the Charmed Ones are literally the storytelling legacy of these mythological figures. The Gryi inspired the three witches in Macbeth, and the three witches in Macbeth have gone on to inspire such things as the Sanderson sisters in Hocus Pocus, and ultimately gave us the original trio of Charmed Ones, and now give us this trio of witches in the reboot. So it's fascinating to me to see a reinvention of a mythological figure in this media that literally only exists because it was inspired by these thousand-year-old myths. I think that is fascinating, and I love that myths evolve and create new stories for us, and I also love finding new ways to honor them at the same time. So that's why I wanted to do a special segment about it, because I just think it's really cool. And I love that they took something as profound as that and made it funny. It's mirth and reverence, right? Like, not to, like, cite Wiccan scripture to you, but in The Charge of the Goddess, one of the things we say is the value of both mirth and reverence. Having respect for our spirituality and our deities, but also finding the sacredness in laughing and making fun of things. So I just have a lot of big feelings about this, I guess. And thank you for listening to them. I don't have anything that I can add to that, except that I think it's really cool that they inspired the witches in Macbeth because the witches in Macbeth really inspired pretty much all of the witch media that exists. And I think that's awesome. That's super incredible. Gray-eye or gray-eye or gray 
All right, so let's get into the origin of Kayla's powers because it's a really cool twist. Finally, the reveal. It is a great twist. Um, and, you know, we did warn you about spoilers, but this is a pretty big one. So if you're forging ahead, not caring about the spoilers, I really feel like you should just watch this unfold because I thought that it was beautiful. However, we are going to spoil it starting now. So the reason that Kayla has powers is because when she was fighting breast cancer, she got an experimental stem cell treatment that Macy donated to. That Macy donated to when she was trying to save the life of her sick father who has died and reappeared as a ghost in this season. Yeah. And so all these pieces come together and we finally figured it out. Macy gave her stem cells. Those stem cells saved Kayla's life and gave her magic. What? Which isn't... Stem cells are like a hot button issue, right? That's, this is a commentary on something or other. Well, um, so they can be. I mean, there, were, there was a lot of anti-abortion propaganda out there basically saying that, like, the left wants to abort your babies and harvest their organs and give them to other people. And it's all about killing babies to, like, unethically fund scientific research. But obviously, you know, a lot of that was bullshit. Um, and as we see from this story, like a, a person can donate stem cells and like be alive afterward, like a willing adult participant can do this and be fine. So, you know, it's, it was a hot button issue for many years, but largely because of lies and propaganda, which is kind of the whole plot of the season. So mm-hmm. <laughs> makes sense. It is a really cool twist. I think I personally would have preferred something else. I don't know what. I would have preferred, but I do like it. Oh, I like it so much because to me, it is a culmination of the show's ongoing effort to talk about the connection and relationship between science and magic. Absolutely. That's a wonderful interpretation of that siren. And that's why I liked it so much. I mean, I th- it was pretty innovative back in the OG days when they were like, hey, Patty had sex with her white lighter and had a secret baby named Paige. Like we were kind of stunned by that revelation, even though the story had already pre-built it into their mythology beforehand, but this one, I think, just takes it a step further. If they had found a long-lost sister that was Marisol's child with, like, a white lighter or something like that, like, we all would have been like, wow, where'd you get that idea from? Yeah, um, yeah. This is purely innovative, in my opinion. Absolutely, and I love thinking of it as that that through-line of magic meets science. And it's a way that Macy like continues her legacy of that. Like magic and yes. science are intertwined with each other as they should be. Um, we don't have to stop believing in one thing because something else is also true. I do want to ask a question just because I am a little uneducated about how stem cells work. Well, you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> how do, How does that make them how does that make Kayla their biological sister just because she has like does it do something to your DNA or like okay so they they kind of say that upon this revelation they feel like Kayla is now their biological sister um a more scientifically minded person should probably answer this question if you know the answer, if you know the answer, please send us an email at review at gmail.com. I was going to say all of that, yes, but I also feel like I could just ask my roommate, David, and he could tell me. But um, Is he home? Because he's... No. Oh. That would be too easy. Um, but what I do know is that 
the reason that stem cells are so amazing for the ways they can be applied to healthcare is because they have the potential to become like any other kind of cell that's necessary, depending on like where they're introduced to the body. Mm. So if you have like organs that are failing because of like cancer, for example, and if you have to maybe remove a lot of that organ to get rid of all the cancer, a stem cell can go in and it can become a new part of that organ without like any kind of rejection or place where things don't meet up properly. Like a stem cell can just adapt to its environment and become whatever is needed. So I guess you could say then that there are parts of Kayla that literally are reconstructed out of Macy's DNA. That makes so much sense, even from like a magical standpoint, too, because Macy's stem cells became magic when they needed to be. That's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. It is, right? I think so, too. And we can even get more, I guess, metaphysical or archetypical in this discussion and say that this is an extension of the idea that just because a person is dead does not mean that they are gone, does not erase what they've done. You know, we have a lot of focus on grief and death in this season. We're all going to die. I'm sorry if this is news to you, but we are all going to die. But that does not mean that our lives are over or that our lives are meaningless. Because here's a perfect example. Something that Macy did before she died saved Kayla's life to begin with. She saved a life of a person she didn't even know without meaning to. And in that process gave them the power to save the world. And that's a big, epic, mythological storyline. But I think if you boil it down, actions that we take every day are affecting people in amazing ways that we may never even know about, but may change the world long after we are dead. And I want to give this message, especially to all the queer people out there listening. You have no idea how just being your authentic queer self in public can change so many other people who see you. I truly believe, because I know people who have been this for me, but I truly believe that after I die, there will be people who remember that I was brave enough to be myself in public and they will draw strength from that because I have people like that in my own memory. And I know that we can all be that for each other. Oh shit, bitch. Shut up. You're making me cry. Sorry about it. I have literal tears right now. Oh my god, that was so insightful. Where? Who are you? Hi, I'm Siren Rex Fry. <laughs> are you sure? Because that was like yeah. really nice. <laughs> oh come on! I'm always like this. I'm also just like really raunchy and depressing. Yeah. No, I I think about that a lot because there's like a flip side of that for me where my parents' abuse lives on and affects me in all these different ways every day, and the loss of my parents affects me in different ways every day. It's so incredibly important to me that I've gone through all of that and maintained my kindness, and that's the legacy I want to leave behind. And I try to live that way every day, and I want that to be how my partners remember me and how my friends remember me, and that's just really beautiful. Just really beautiful. Well, I'm glad that it touched you and that my drunken rambling was not a fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we're going to wind down toward the end of the season now. We've had a lot of pretty heavy discussion here, as I knew we would. Um, So let's talk about what ultimately is the big bad of the season, because I also felt like this was a very nice twist. Um, It just felt like a good ending, honestly. 
And again, it okay, so the end of season four of the reboot reflects so many aspects of the end of other major story arcs in the original, and I felt like they pieced them all together so masterfully. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. So after the tally man dies, there's this kind of disembodied voice hanging around, like making people do shit. And uh, we're not really sure what's up with that. Like, we're still trying to figure out, like, why is Kayla a witch? But also, who is this disembodied voice? Like, what is going on? You know, so the end reveal is lovely to me. This disembodied voice starts being referred to as the Lost One. It's a supremely powerful magical creature who is lost, um, locked away in some kind of prison. Not the prison dimension we blew open last season, but another one. Um, (laughs) And this person is Inara, who was one of the original Charmed Ones. I loved this reveal. And I love... Not the original Charmed Ones from the original show. The original Charmed Ones from this show. The original Charmed Ones from the reboot. <laughs> that's, there's a lot of semantic stuff going on there. Um, I loved it, too. I loved it, too. It's pretty hard to navigate. But so Inara, the lost one, is the sister of Ishta, guardian of the tree, and also sister of Ishani, another OG reboot Charmed One that we meet. Um. So, you know, we already know a little bit about Ishta. We're going to get into Inara. I want to spend just a brief amount of time on Ishani because... Not to be confused with Ashanti, the R&B singer, because I did make yes. that mistake earlier. Uh, um... Yes, not to be confused. Um, because as we both know, um, she's canonically a demon in service of the first and not one of the... <laughs> original Charmed um, Ones. Original rebooted Charmed Ones, yes. Um, so, <laughs> um, Ishani is immortal and just out in the world, like having to live a life, basically, whereas Inara is locked away and Ishta's the guardian of the tree, Ashani is just, like, around. She's like, okay, um, I'm gonna... <laughs> I'm gonna go... Play. Yeah, and she has, like, this big, like, manic pixie dream girl energy, but in kind of a toned-down way that I find palatable. Um, she is apparently polyamorous and pansexual, which, guess what? We are adding Ishani to our list of queer women. However, um... She does die. Uh, so I can't add her to that list. But but she is another queer woman of color. Yeah, I, lo- I love Ashani. I like that she is, you know, just like got this chaotic energy and does what she wants and lives her life the way that she wants to. But she also, she's so resistant to like being helpful. But when she knows that she needs to, she does. Until the fate of the world is at stake, because Dev's death drives Kayla to run away from being a charmed one. And that's when Ashani steps in and is like, hey, would it help if I did a big reveal on everything? Would it help if I drugged you and then explained some stuff? Yeah. yeah. So Ishta. Ishta is the guardian of the tree. We meet. We met her back in season two with the whole black amber debacle. Yeah, and she's very like I'm a D and D druid. I have my green robe with a big hood, and I have my big magic tree. And then in season four, she's like, but also I'm a prize fighter. My character is a level twelve druid, but also an MMA fighter. She's <laughs> multi-classing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> She is a level 10 druid, level 10 fighter. Do not fuck with this bitch. Listen, I don't know much about D&D myself. I know you're a big fan. And also my boyfriend's husband's boyfriend was really into D&D. 
I want to meet that person. Uh, you would, you would really like him, I think. And it seems like it's exactly that. Like my boyfriend's husband comes home from the D and D meetings with like tinfoil hats on and stuff. So I think that it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty good for it to be like. <laughs> I'll have to ask him if I can leave that in there. Uh, this is unrelated to anything, but do you know that one time in a sociology class we had to make. Well, rather, we got to make tinfoil hats because it was the last day of class. And I made a tinfoil coned princess hat with the streamer coming out of the top that was also made of tinfoil. <laughs> of course you did. True story. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's just kind of all over the place. Um, and it's up until this point, we had no idea that she could even leave the tree. And so it makes Harry's well, whole... Well, she probably, she just, you know, she left Macy in charge. Yeah. <laughs> she it... was like, hey, now that you're dead, can you watch this tree? I'm going to go beat a bitch up. I mean, I know Madeline Mantock wasn't on the show anymore, but it would have been really cool if, like, we could have gotten some sort of image of Macy beyond her final shot of her as a guardian of the tree. I think that would have been lovely. It would have, but I think for the same reason that Shannon Doherty did not appear in the finale of Charmed, it was just an extra budgetary concern. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to talk about Inara? Yes. So, um, Inara really shines in Be Kind Rewind, which, as Phoenix mentioned at the top, is, like, the highest rated episode of the season. I loved that episode. Be Kind Rewind is a mix of the Avatars, Jasmine from Angel Season 4, and the Charmed Season 8 finale. And it just all is, like, mashed together, like, so well. Like, she remakes the world like the Avatars did. Um, We have the sisters versus sisters thing of the Charmed finale, as well as the magical creatures turn against the Charmed ones, which was also a big part of Charmed season eight. Um, So just like a lot of like homages really going on. Yeah. And just um, just like Jasmine, everyone loves her, but her intentions aren't pure. But I thought she was great because so Inara comes out like she's the big reveal of the episode right before this and then she immediately takes over the story like the next episode is all about her she's a brand new character who has to carry an episode by herself basically and she does she did so well Mm -hmm. and she had this like like hot female executive kind of costuming going on yeah you know um I thought it was really good. And I do want to touch on the way that she gained all the power to do those things. It was basically a recreation of the ritual that made the original Charmed Ones, which is also the exact same thing that made the Perfect Eye in season three. Um, so that did get reused. And I think that maybe they thought no one would notice, but we did. Um, oh, I thought, I mean, I thought it was all connected. Like, this is the way in which all the seasons are connected because this original story about how the charmed ones were created, it involves the perfect eye in season three. It involves the faction and the conqueror in season two. And so it's like true. Yeah. It's like everything the mythology has been building up to in the previous seasons is coming to a head right now with the face of one of the original charmed ones. Um, and I just think it's so good. I love it. I love it. And then the sisters, the original Charmed Ones, um, Anara is like, if I can't have it, no one can, and tries to like blow up the world and kill all the magical creatures if she like her, her plan fails. And 
she and the other two original Charmed Ones end up absorbing all that energy together and saving the day. And that's how they die. Because the current Charmed Ones convince them to do so. Mm-hmm. None of these, none of the original Charmed Ones really care. Like, Inara wants to end it all. Ishta is so fucking over everything. And Ashani just doesn't want to be involved. And so they're, like, ready to let everything go to hell, all three of them. They see the current Charmed Ones, the reiteration of their own power, ready to sacrifice their lives to save the world. And instead they decide, no, this is our turn. This is what we always should have done, was save the world. And then that's what they do. Yeah. And it's really lovely. It's really lovely the way that that plays out and the way that Inara says, this is what I've always wanted to do. I wanted to save the world with my sisters. And and then they get to. And it's it's beautiful and lovely and wrapped up so well. Um, there is an aspect of the OG reboot Charmed Ones that I would like to touch on. Um, they are not blood sisters. They are a found family. They are. And, you know, the Charmed mythology from the beginning has been very, like, blood sisters, blood relative, inherited family magic. Like, that's what it's all about. So then we have Michaela or Kayla come in and she's a sibling, not by birth, but by scientific coincidence. And then now we learn that the original source of the power, the original charmed ones from way back when were a chosen sisterhood, not a blood sisterhood. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. Because I am a member of a very powerfully connected chosen family. And... I love them dearly, much more than much of my blood family. And I still encounter in the world people who don't get it. Whenever I talk about them, they're just like, oh, you're so you're just talking about your friends. No, maybe you don't get it because you're straight and you weren't shunned by your entire family. But a lot of us queer people were and our found families are everything to us. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice to see that being honored. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I mean, there are people in my life that are closer to me than really any of my blood family. And, you know, I I found connection in other places. And so did the Charmed Ones. So we finally have to get to the end of the season. Well, the end of the series, even. The end of the series. Yes. Um. So this show, they had every intention of doing a season five. And it's sort of too bad that they won't, although I highly doubt it would have gone the way that they wanted it to. But what happens in the end is that we are introduced, um, well, I guess rather, the, the last few episodes of the season are building up to something going on in a parallel world that also has to do with the Charmed Ones. And so after the threat to the universe is gone, um, they go to this other world And Mel, Maggie, and Kayla are transported to the front porch of the original Halliwell Manor. They sure are. The stained glass window is so obvious. You know exactly where you are as soon as you get there. And then they walk inside. And as we've seen so many times, the stained glass doors close behind them magically. And that is the end. And I have seen a lot of people really upset about the fact that the that Mel, Maggie, and Kayla just go into the Charmed One's house. Oh, a lot of people fucking hated it. But 
As if that is any different than all of the other times that demons have just barged in there. Right. Well, I did see a lot of memes about how, like, Piper or Prue would probably just kill them. Um, which is possible. Um, which is possible. But I don't know, though, because I feel like Maggie could just be like, <laughs> psych. I, yeah, I don't know, though. Um, Kayla's powers have not really been useful in battle, what we've seen. And they haven't, like, evolved her powers yet. So there's that. But Mel and Maggie, I think, could uh, could take them. Uh, yeah, I do, too. I do, too. A lot of people were really upset about the way that the, the reboot ended. And I'm not. I thought it was beautiful. But do you know what? The, the, these people are never going to be happy because they're like, well, you didn't pay enough homage to the original, which is a criticism that's bullshit because they absolutely did. Um, but then they're like, don't fuck with the original. You know, like you, you can't do everything that these trolls want. They're going to be unhappy no matter what. Um, the show creators have stated that they intended to reach out to previous actors from the original show and see who all would be on board to joining season five. That was their plan. Now, we're going to get into, here in a moment, the reason why I think nobody would have responded well to that. But it's what they wanted to try. The idea of a charmed multiverse is so fucking cool. It's so fucking cool. And that's like, and that's just a big thing in media right now. Like everything is about multiple universes and that's just a really big like thing in our culture at the moment. Like you have things like- Well, it is. Because the multiverse is the story of the evolution of media in general. It's a way to put everything together because a lot of people see these common characters in completely different ways. And it's a way to tell all of those stories and say that all of them are true because multiverse. Well, also, well, I mean, we have to think about things like things that are prevalent in media right now. This is very much just like adding to that conversation and that mythos, like Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness, everything, everywhere, all at once. There are so many examples of it in media right now that I feel like part of me felt like it was just piggybacking onto that popularity, but also I really love it. I just really, really love it a lot. Well, since we only get to explore it for about two minutes, I guess I don't have a full opinion on it. I, I love everything that it could have been. I love everything that it yeah. could have been. And that's kind of where I stand on it as a, as the end of the show. I love everything that it could have been. I The infinite possibilities are so exciting and wondrous to me because I just want more witches. I want more witches. Yeah, I do. I do, too. Um, so the cancellation of the show, you know, we were you and I were both very concerned at first when we heard about it. I mean, obviously, we don't like it. If there was a season five of the show, I would watch it and I would also do a podcast with you about it. Like 100 mm-hmm. um, percent. But. It came, like, so many CW shows got canceled at the same time that it seems to me like it wasn't even anything to do with this specific show. More like the CW is rebranding. Actually, that is exactly what's happening. There was just a tweet recently that the the CW is going to be geared towards more of what their demographic actually is, which is, like, 53-year-old people. 58-year-olds! It's 58-year-olds! And also... The CW is being bought out. Um, oh, now that part I did not know. The CW is being bought out by another company. I don't remember who it was. I would need to do a little bit of research to substantiate that claim, which I will more than happily do at a later time. But I'm pretty sure they are being bought out by another uh, entertainment network and rebranding. So, yes. Yeah. So I guess it is and it isn't problematic because, like we're saying, they're rebranding. They canceled a ton of shows. They also canceled Legends of Tomorrow, which is another one of my favorite shows. And I think that fucking sucks. Well, they also um, finally fucking canceled all of their stupid Vampire Diaries spinoffs. Yeah, you know, I I have not given Legacies a chance at all, so I won't say anything about it. 
I'm just so tired of it. Um, I'm so tired of that universe. I was so tired of the other two shows that I didn't even watch Legacies, even though there was witchcraft in it. Um, and I guess I'll probably have to change my tune about that at some point as a witch media podcaster. God damn it. I'll fucking watch Legacy. It's fine. But um, the point is that while it was part of a major, re- um, a major rebranding effort, we're also basically saying this queer POC show about witchcraft is definitely not of interest to your average 58-year-old. Um, I'm yeah. sure that that is true, but it's also kind of like, why? Is it because all the 58-year-olds left living are, like, white straight people because they actively contributed to, like, the death and depression of, like, queer people and people of color in their own generation? Like, does that have something to do with maybe why 58-year-olds don't like this kind of stuff? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it super duper sucks that this queer POC show got canceled, and I refuse to ever celebrate that. Um I will not do it. I will not. And I will call it out when I see it. And I have. It's a groundbreaking show, no matter how you feel about it. That didn't sit right with me. It did not sit right with me either. No, this show did not do everything perfectly all the time. Uh, Yes. So, Phoenix, you have a major issue with an aspect of the show. And we are, like, high on time right now, but I would like to get into it. So, um, tell me what that is. My biggest problem with this show is that there are no male or masculine presenting witches at all in this show. None. There are not, um, which obviously as uh, two male witches is problematic for us. But it's also, it's very strange because the show was so great at diversity in all these other ways. And it's just weird that there are no um, male or mask witches. And the fact that that doesn't exist kind of lends credibility to Josefina's fear that because she was trans, she wasn't a witch. And I don't like any of that. I don't either. And it makes me feel, like any of it that. makes me feel really invalidated as a, as a male witch watching this show. Um, and I don't care for it. Yeah. I don't care um, for it. And do you know what else though? Other than with the exception of, I think that Kevin, the trans man in season three is the only queer man in the show. Oh yeah. Isn't that true? Yeah, there's not a whole lot of male or masculine presenting people at all in this show. No, I mean, the 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 male mask characters in this show are great, by and large, other than, you know, Harry. Um, <laughs> yeah. Obviously, uh, I'm I'm obsessed with Jordan Donica a little bit. I think he's just the most beautiful. Well, he's also just... Jordan's a wonderful character. Other than Kevin, there are no queer men in this show at all. And there are no male witches. And I just think that that's shitty. And not that, like men need a whole bunch of extra representation. I get that, but... But it's like, in the case of which, we have a very different gender issue than normally. Because, do you know when you're talking and you're referencing, let's say, like a profession or a title that we automatically uh, um, expect to be a man? Like, you would say a phrase like, a female firefighter, you know, or a... Male nurse. Woman... Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, So male witch is kind of interesting because there's never, no one's ever going around saying like, oh, she was a female witch. Um, Because it's just kind of assumed or implied that a witch is a woman in most people's vernacular. So the phrase male witch is kind of interesting. Um, It's also a little, it's a little bioessentialist, you know? Like there can be, um, you know, like man or masculine witches um, who don't identify with the word male at all or would not scientifically, quote-unquote, be classified as male, blah, blah, blah. And then there's the whole, like, you know, how do you fix that? Do you say man-witch? Because that's a can of fucking sauce. Yeah. 
It it just sucks. It's just one of the things about the show that I really don't like. But yeah, it's too it's too bad. It's it's all it's too bad, especially because even though the original Charmed had kind of this byline for a while that men couldn't be witches, they eventually did have men who were witches, and one of which was a season long main character. So um, it's weird that the original Charmed got the representation a little better in that aspect than I do. So let's yes, let's talk about you know I began. Several episodes ago, I began several episodes ago talking about queer women of color who don't die, and that's a big deal. So I have compiled a list of all the queer women of color on the show who do not die, because we are truly living in the era of unbarrier gays. Am I right? So we have Mel, Nico, Jada, Kat, Swan, Ruby, Josefina, Kayla, and Camelia. That is nine queer women of color on the screen on this show who do not die. That's amazing representation, and it's probably a record setting, quite frankly. So if we add white queer women who don't die, that's Roxy, Greta, and Abigail, which brings our total to 12. 12 queer women on this show who do not die. And that's in a medium that is famous for murdering lesbians to get them the fuck off the screen. So it's pretty huge. Yeah, so let's let's talk about the rivalry with the original. I feel like we have to bring that into this conversation before we end our episode. And we'll try to be brief because we are running a little long on time here. And also Phoenix, Phoenix doesn't want to be like super TMZ about it. (laughs) I don't. I don't. I want to keep it brief. I don't want to bring a whole lot of that negative energy and perpetuate stuff. I don't either, but I guess I just want to examine this because I think that the fact that this happened um, influenced a lot of people's opinions about the show and made a lot of people not give it a chance or, like, prejudge it in some way. So, I mean, it's it's relevant to the conversation, unfortunately. Even though it is tabloid gossip, it's also relevant because it's in a lot of your guys' heads. And you know it. And I know it. All right, so let's talk about it. So what happened first is um, it was basically, like, Holly Marie Combs and Rose McGowan versus Sarah Jeffrey on Twitter and Instagram. It all began with this Instagram live that Holly and Rose did that was about so many things other than the reboot. But during it, they started talking a little bit of shit about the reboot and they said that it sucked and they laughed a lot. And Rose even said, I've never watched it, but I know it sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which is how a lot of the OG Charm fans feel about it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Sarah Jeffrey was not having it. Sarah Jeffrey, the actress who plays Maggie, um, she got on Twitter and fired back at them. She called them sad and pathetic for sitting around um, and saying nasty things about her without giving her a chance. Um, I think she said something basically about them needing to focus more on their own lives. And she accused them of putting down women of color. Neither Holly or Rose responded to this well at all. They both basically put their defenses up and said, how dare you accuse us of talking shit about women of color and being racist? We're not racist. We're just talking shit about your all women of color led show that we haven't seen and have negative opinions about. Well, (laughs) well, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not taking any of that back. It's what happened. I I don't want you to take any of that back. It's totally fine that you feel that way and that's your opinion about it. I understand a little bit of where Holly and Rose were coming from. A little bit. Um, Because I don't think it's about the fact that the show is 
led by women of color. I think it's about the fact that they weren't involved in it at all. And it was... They... Yes, that is the response they gave that... That's a response that um, even Alyssa Milano gave, although she was not hateful, like everyone else. Um, but they basically... They, you know, they said, we're not racist. We're just upset that you're piggybacking off our hard work and that we're not involved or anyway and we haven't been consulted. Um, and I just... I don't know that I... I buy that. I don't know that I buy that that's grounds for like such strong oh, statements. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I understand why they're upset. Um, because it was something that they devoted a lot of their lives to that this new version of they didn't get to have any hand in or any part in or get to celebrate their legacy. But I see. I feel like it was a celebration of their legacy. It was. The show wouldn't exist without them. It was. Siren, I am not disagreeing with you. I'm not disagreeing with you. No, I know. I'm not arguing with you. What I'm expressing is disappointment. Yes. People who I have enjoyed. I don't think that they they felt that their work was celebrated. I felt that they thought that their work was plagiarized in some way. Yeah. And that's, and that's all very relevant, but I have to stand by what I said immediately because both Holly and Rose brought up the accusations of racism in their responses. And basically what they said was, you, even though you feel like this is racism, I as the white person can tell you fundamentally that it's not. Um, no, they both look like assholes. I'm sorry. They do. They do. Especially Rose. Rose went on, Rose went on a bit of a rant about it, which I was going to read, but now I don't want to. Um, but ultimately, what happened is that um, Sarah and her fans would not let up, and both Holly and Rose basically said, you know what, there's more important things in the world, let's stop talking about this, which I think is code for we're wrong and don't want to admit it. Yeah, yeah. I actually do kind of want you to read what Rose said. Oh, Okay. All right. Well, I mean, we we summed it up a lot, so I guess we can let them use their own words. Um, so I'll read. I'll read Holly. Um, Holly's original tweet uh, after Sarah's initial backlash was, uh, "That's some bullshit," and a lot of it. <laughs> People speaking. Excuse me. Typing derogatory accusations of a person's character, despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary, because of a difference in opinion about a TV show, is just plain wrong. And also, personal gain, honey. Yeah, so I think we can all agree that that last addendum was stupid. But I don't like like Holly's tweet because she's talking about being accused of being racist, but she can't even say it. Um, Yeah. Apparently, there's there's overwhelming evidence to the contrary that she's not. Um, I would like to see where that... I don't know where that is. I don't know how you can supply that because we are all people who um, have lived and been raised in a racist society um i would feel pretty darn foolish (laughs) if i as a white person were to try and tell the world that there is no racism in me whatsoever that i've been entirely immune to all of the racism and white supremacy that i have grown up in and lived with my whole life i would feel pretty darn foolish if i tried to say that and have people believe me that happened so here's what rose said and it's kind of long She said, Dear Sarah Jeffrey, I honestly had no idea who you were until you tweeted. (laughs) Which is... Um, So right off the bat, she's being shady. 
I have been too busy fighting monsters and fighting for a massive cultural reset to notice who is in the reboot. Absolutely nothing to do with race. That's quite a stretch you took. I'm beyond glad any woman of color has a well-paying job. Hell yes to that. I'm sure you are a great actress. My quibble is about execs and producers and the WB network trading on years of my hard work and name in such a cynical and obvious way, a money grab to cash in on the charmed name. I do not care that they remade it. I have far bigger things I'm dealing with. I do not, nor will I watch a show I disagree with on principle. And in response to the Charmed reboot ending at the Hollowell Manor, one of the original writers, Curtis Keel, tweeted, As an original Charmed writer, I can tell you what happened next. Piper, Phoebe, and Paige vanquished the three imposters after they invaded the Hallowell Manor. Because I have a small penis. Then Piper, Holly Marie Combs, blew up the portal to that other universe and wished them well. And so, you know, the stuff that we talked about with Holly and Rose was maybe like a year or two old at this point. However, this just happened. Um, yes. This thing with Curtis Keel and um, some writers from the reboot responded to him on social media. And here's what they said. <laughs> they said... Unlike with the OG version of the franchise, we had a strict no-a-holes hiring policy in the writer's room. We feel mostly sorry for these people because unlike them, we actually like each other and had the best time. And for the record, we love both versions, which is why we set out to create a cohesive universe. In our minds, there is zero competition in a long line of strong young witches tasked with repeatedly saving the world. Yeah, um, you know, you and I have both had really intense experiences in on social media with responses to the Charmed reboot, and it's really upset both of us because we like the show and we appreciate the show. I, I, I just, I don't have any, I don't have any negative feelings, and I understand people that do. I understand why it's upset some people, but I just love it. I think it's so cool and fun. I think that it is cool, and I think even like the the major criticisms against it don't make any sense. I think when Rose said that she's working for a massive cultural reset and she's ignoring this groundbreaking show with like queer POC representation that's like multicultural and diverse, like, does she not understand that that is part of a massive cultural reset? Rose McGowan has some problems that are much bigger than the things that she thinks that her problems are. Yes, but it's also it's. So I, even though I don't want to, I don't want to trash talk her necessarily. I find it very interesting that Rose McGowan spent a lot of time and energy talking about how the reboot sucks because of her hard work and loyalty to the original, when she will also take every chance that she gets to publicly on social media, talk about how working on Charmed was the worst time of her life. And Alyssa Milano is a monster who she still holds a grudge against 10 years later. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I am. These things are not cohesive for me. Listen, Rose is not going to listen to this show. We're probably never going to talk to any of the original cast members. But wouldn't it be fun if we did? I want Drew Fuller. I mean, I I also want Drew Fuller's penis. Um, That's what I said. Yes. um, No, there's just there's such a there's such a cognitive dissonance for me with Rose McGowan because it's like there are times I really understand what she's saying and can like sympathize with and for her but then she pulls stunts like that 
and says really horrible, nasty, mean things. And it just makes me really sad. Well, it makes me really sad because I have loved Rose McGowan as an actress for many years before learning about what she was like as a person. Yeah. And she and she's just thinks she needs a little bit of help. And that, that's all that I'll say about it. Well, as Alyssa Milano said in response to Rose's Twitter attacks, hurt people hurt people. <laughs> yeah, I think Alyssa Milano is the only one besides Shannon Doherty who hasn't really said much at all. Uh, well, so I don't have quotes pulled out from them, but I can tell you basically their feelings about it in public. Alyssa Milano stated that she wished that she would have been involved in some way, but she wished them the best. That was her only statement about it. Um, Shannon Doherty, during the feud between Sarah and Rose, Shannon Doherty took a photo, a selfie, with Sarah Jeffrey's dad. And um, he introduced himself by saying that his daughter was a new charmed one. And Shannon said, let's take a picture together. Tell your daughter I wish her the best. I love that. Um, yeah, so just my experience in the reaction to the reboot on social media has not been the best. Um and especially to the cancellation, it, just makes, it makes me very sad. It makes me very sad that so many people are celebrating these people of color. And the, I mean, just the, people of color, not all of these people losing their jobs. So many people yeah. lost their jobs with the cancellation of this show. And I just feel like, I mean, there are like shows out there that are doing some pretty irresponsible shit. And this was not one of them by any means. I feel like this show was creating art and entertainment, but it was trying to funnel positive messages into the world while it did it. And I think that that is pretty rare. And I think it's admirable. And I think it's amazing that it did it through the medium of witchcraft. Yes! Be gay and do witchcraft. And so that's why we're here. I honestly hope that all of you have enjoyed these many episodes about the Charmed reboot, even if you didn't think it was something you wanted to hear about at first. And do you know what? I'm not saying that if you don't like it, you're racist. And I'm not saying there's something wrong with you if you don't want to watch it. I'm not saying that you have to. I just want to say that I want to give this show the credit I think it deserves because I found it very meaningful. And so did a lot of other disenfranchised people. There are people out there that love this show because they are queer people of color seeing themselves represented for the first time. And they don't give a fuck about witchcraft. And that is still important. You guys, it is. It just is. So love or hate the show, I think what it did was important. And I hope that we have at least convinced you of that. Okay, Siren, where can the people find you? Hey, girl, hey. You can find me at Siren Spectacular on Twitter and Instagram, or follow my Facebook meme page, Siren Spectacular, comma, non-binary meme witch. You can also watch my Coven's defunct YouTube channel, Millennial Incantations, which even though we may never update, is still actually pretty good, and I'm super proud of it. I mean, it's how we met, so... I'm, hap yeah. I'm happy it's there still, too. I still reference some of your videos sometimes when I forget things, so. Man, I do it every chance I get. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram at Phoenix Arcana Lightwood. You can follow me on Twitter at Phoenix Arcana underscore. If you would like to listen to my other podcast, which may or may not be out yet, I'm not sure, uh, where I talk about my <laughs> dead parents a whole bunch, uh, even more than I did in this episode of this podcast. You can follow that at Who Died Pod on all social media platforms and listen to it, hopefully, wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to stay connected with this show, you can follow Witch Bitches Review at WBRCast on all social media platforms. 
And if you have a question or a comment or something you'd like to hear us talk about or information to give us about something we spoke about in these episodes that maybe we got wrong or we needed more information on, please send us an email at witchbeerview at gmail.com. We would love to hear your thoughts and your opinions and keep in touch with us. And of course, don't forget to listen to the two light spinner episodes on Hey Adora, a, she- a queer She-Ra podcast where Phoenix and I got to guest star and talk about witchcraft in the She-Ra universe. All right, all you queer witches. Yes. Until next time, keep on witching. And bitching. Bye. Bye. Are you a good witch or a bad witch?